Welcome to the No More Late Fees podcast. I'm Danielle. And I'm Jackie. And we're just two best friends and ex-Blockbuster employees rewatching some of the best and worst movies from the late 90s and early 2000s. This week, we're celebrating my best friend's birthday with the 1997 classic, My Best Friend's Wedding. We couldn't think of a better way to celebrate Danielle turning the big 4-0 and the movie's 25th anniversary. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. You might as well take me to Costco to pick out my casket. (laughs) One foot in the grave, y'all. No, we got life to live. We got a podcast to do. There's no picking out caskets. Ring up. You better, you better ring up my backup. Call Gwenny Gwen. Well, when you had the vid earlier this week, I got a very dramatic phone call saying i'm sick bird i'm dying you better call gwen and get her on deck because you're gonna need a new co-host i meant every word but before we dive in let's get into some housekeeping never gonna get it right (laughs) never gonna get never gonna get it if I, I almost started singing that and I can't sing. If you love the podcast and you want to support us, here's a few ways you can. Join our Patreon and become one of our Patreon besties and gain access to, you saw that like back and forth me and Jackie just did. We've got hours of content like that. And you, you could check it out. What stickers, ask me anythings, polls, exclusive content, live Spotify playlists, and more. Just head to patreon.com slash no more late fees. And if you love us, but don't have the money to shell out for Patreon, no worries. You can really help us by writing us a review. It helps us gain new listeners and bumps us up into suggested podcasts. Like this review left from Shay1991, five stars. I started listening to this podcast last month and have been enjoying it so far. Danielle and Jackie's dynamic makes each episode fun and engaging. There are a lot of movie podcasts out there, but what I like about this one is their creativity, i.e. they have trailer episodes before releasing main episodes that introduce the guest co-hosts and the movie they will be reviewing. My favorite episodes so far are the ones I did on the Babysitter's Club, The Princess Diaries, and She's All That. Check them out on YouTube and Instagram. Thanks, Shay. I love how she plugged us. Like, she did all (laughs) of our our handles for us. Gotta love it. Oh, when you said money, all I kept thinking of that, that TikTok song, my money don't jingle jingle. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. My money don't jingle jingle. It folds. folds. So if you want to be featured and help us grow, head to Apple, Spotify, Podchasers, Good Pods, or your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. And if you love the podcast and want to rock our merch, head to our Redbubble page at nomorelatefees.redbubble.com and buy some merch. The heroine's a terrible monster. The hero's a selfish schmuck. And that's only the beginning, Vanity Fair, 1997. Upon finding out that her friend, with whom she has had a backup marriage pact, is engaged to another woman, 
Julian decides to go break up their wedding and steal the man who's rightfully hers from the unwitting bride-to-be. It stars Julia Roberts, Dermot Mulroney, Cameron Diaz, Rupert Everett, and Philip Bosco. It was written by Ronald Bass, directed by PJ Hogan, and you can rent it on Amazon for $2.99 or rent it on Apple for $3.99. Or buy it on Apple as a two-pack with Sleepless in Seattle for $19.99 like I did. (laughs) But before we start, let's get into our ratings rewind. So, you know the drill, before we get into the movie, we'll reveal the rating our Y2K versions of ourselves would give, then at the end, we'll see if our current selves agree with our initial rating. Our scale consists of, would buy it, would buy it again, the best would play on repeat, five day rental, would watch again, (laughs) that was so straight to the point, two day rental, okay, but nothing to write home about, same day rental. If trash were a person, it would be Jules. She she does not have redeeming qualities in this movie, Danielle. We'll see. (laughs) We shall see. What is your Y2K rating? So after this movie came out, Y2K Jackie had a little ritual every Valentine's Day. And that would be (laughs) to watch my best friend's wedding because it's someone who's having a worse day than her. So I, of course, bought it so I could watch it for my tradition. How about you? Yeah, hell yeah. So (laughs) fun story. Your girl was a Columbia house bitch for a little while. That's right. That's (laughs) right. That's right. I was cheating on the bin at Walmart and cheating on Blockbuster. I got this movie for a penny. And I never paid for anything else. They never got me. And then they crumbled as a company. And I have my best friend's wedding and Notting Hill for 99 cents, y'all. And I'm proud of it. So yes, it is would buy it, did buy it for me. And obviously, you're a bit of a my best friend's wedding stan. I'm a Julia stan all day, (laughs) every day. I'm a stick beside her kind of feel there's not much that could come out about her that would waver my love for Julia Roberts and I've heard quite a few things that she's she can you know she's a man stealer husband stealer she wore a shirt that said aloe vera but spelled aloe vera because the husband that she stole Danny Motor yeah yeah his wife's name was Vera Everything I, a petty know, bitch. everything I know about being petty and about getting my way is from Julia Roberts and her movies. <laughs> so I got it by watching you. <laughs> <laughs> Just I, I have no shame in my game. And we already know that I am a villain sympathizer. Yes, yes. This she she tops Taylor Vaughn. They're different. They're different breeds. They're not different. They're different breeds. They're different breeds. But why I picked this movie? I was having a really hard time picking my birthday movie. If you guys don't know, Jackie and I 
will, you know, pick a movie for our birthday that just means something to us. I watched this movie quite a bit when it came out in high school. I cried a lot listening to the soundtrack for whatever loser boy I liked at the time. That's how I was feeling with the soundtrack. I was wondering how you had all of these soundtracks, but now the Columbia House explains it. I didn't know. I just, I, the Columbia House, I didn't get till college. Okay. So I had the, the movie on VHS because mommy bought it for me, but I bought it on DVD through the Columbia House scandal. So yeah, I really love Julia Roberts, especially around this time period in life. And I love a rom-com. And this was totally different than most rom-coms. She did not get the guy at the end. And I very much related to that. I did not know, however, you know, 16-year-old me or 15-year-old me, I don't know how old I was when this came out, thought, oh, one day I'm going to, I'm going to find my person. Didn't know fast forward 40 years I'd still be in this predicament so (laughs) it was quite sad rewatching this movie in a different level but yeah I will say rewatching this movie I had some new revelations so don't get too upset with me saying oh I always go for the villain I have some thoughts we may be on the same page on a few things okay well tell us about the box office of course. So the budget for this movie was $38 million and it made $299.3 million worldwide. That's a lot of cheddar. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. The film opened at number two at the North American box office, but I was quite surprised as to what movie stood in its way of gaining that top spot and when we talk about cheese this was a cheesy one of the non-michael keaton variety it's my favorite of course it is (laughs) of course it is that's right batman and robin was the number one top spot when this movie came out so it opened to number two batman and robin was number one And the movie stayed in the top 10 weekly U.S. box office for six consecutive weeks. It is listed as one of the 10 biggest films of 1997, both domestically and worldwide. And I have to give them props because the actors in this movie won not one, not two, but three blockbuster entertainment awards. We've got Julia Roberts for favorite actress in a comedy we have Rupert Everett as favorite supporting actor in a comedy and Cameron Diaz winning for favorite supporting actress in a comedy so uh R.I.P. to the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards yeah 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 they were nominated for like Golden Globes and other things but like I had to put the important awards on here so (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering where it ranks of all time Box Um, office. I'm not sure, but I know rom-coms. I I feel like for the rom-coms, it may be top 10 top grossing, but I'll look it up as we go along and I'll I'll follow back up. I I meant to look that up. I'm already on. Oh, okay. I also love that rewatching this movie, 
it takes place it, it was fully shot in Chicago you could do like a tour in Chicago of all the different places that they shot this movie and when I originally saw this movie I had never been to Chicago and now that I've been it makes it even more fun to watch the movie because I'm like oh, I've been there <laughs> I know where that is it's not it wasn't in the top 15 mm, maybe I was wrong yeah made a shit ton of money for not being in the top 15 but yeah but we've had quite a few rom-coms that have just like been really successful with yeah. um, gross like we were I think we talked about this the breakup did really well surprisingly and I had no idea it made as much money as it did because remember when I was looking at that list of all the top grossing like rom-com leads and how Jennifer Aniston was in like the top four and I was like how the fuck does she get there no no hate to her but she she beat like people I was not thinking she would be and it's because of movies like The Breakup that were yeah ton of money let's talk about casting really quick because when you look at this cast I can't imagine anybody else in some of these roles and for a lot of us, this was an introduction to Cameron Diaz, unless he saw The Mask, but this was her introduction into the rom-com, you know, genre. And as we know, she is one of the rom-com queens. Yep. And Julia Roberts actually picked, handpicked Cameron Diaz to play Kimmy, as well as Moroni. Moroni. Yeah. So she handpicked both of them. But there were a lot of people in the running to to be in this in their roles. We, Drew Barrymore was actually one of who she read for the role of Kimmy, but she lost out to Cameron Diaz. And we all know they end up beca- they're like really good friends in real life. Yeah, co-starred um, together in uh, Charlie's Angels and Full Throttle. Callista Flockhart said it was said that she turned on the role of Kimberly Laura Dern and. Just thinking of those actresses, it just, I c- still couldn't imagine. Maybe Callista Flockhart, because I, I think of, of like how baby face she looked when she was in mm-hmm. Birdcage. But Lord, but I don't think she could bring the Kimmy energy no. that Cameron brought. So I will say Julia, Cameron, and Rupert. Perfect. Right. I don't know what was going on with the chemistry with Dermot. I like it just, it could have been more like it wasn't bad. bad. Yeah. But it could have been, there was an old la passion. (laughs) But you know what? I feel like, like if it was the kind of chemistry she had with George Clooney or even Hugh Grant, then we would even have a harder time. But not even between her and him. I think that was fine. And that's what made it okay. Between him and Kimmy, Mm. there was a disconnect. I needed more passion or like more from them. Yeah. But I wonder if it's, it's from the perspective, like we're really looking at this like the whole movie's lens is almost from Julianne's perspective and it could make sense to her that I don't see it. I don't see it. This ain't a problem. Well, I didn't see it either. So (laughs) I was Um, like, but do you really love her? Cause it doesn't seem like we're going to get into it, girl. We're going to get into it. 
But there was also one more person rumored to have that was offered the role of Julianne. And that was Sarah Jessica Parker. There's, um, and I call it a rumor because PJ Hogan, he said, yeah, there's a story going around that like other Sarah Jessica Parker was originally offered the role of Julianne and couldn't take it due to being sex in the, due to sex in the city. But he, he was like, that wasn't true at all, that Julia Roberts was attached from the beginning and that the only other offer was for Sandra Bullock. He said that she's Sandy. probably the only other actress in the world besides Julia who could have been fabulous at this role. Which I see because you look at the proposal where she's kind of that like ice queen mm-hmm. nemesis, like almost sabotaging things you know to get her way but she also has to be likable I feel like yes. Sarah Jessica Parker I would have just she would have just yeah she would have <laughs> just been awful yeah which test audiences did very much hate Julianne so much so that it caused problems down the line so they had to do a few reshoots to to fix a few things because of her how well Julia did in this role and the other two actors considered for the role of Michael played by Dermot Mulroney were Edward Burns which I I just don't care for him like I don't see it right and Russell Crowe who I don't think I've been I we've he's come up on the podcast but he is another one of those actors that I just don't watch his movies and it's not because I hate him or anything he's fine but it's because he's such a low talker. I have to turn the volume up so high. <laughs> Everyone else in the movie is screaming. Maybe now that I read all of my movies, I'd have a different perspective, but I just stopped watching Russell Crowe movies because he was a low talker. I could never understand the damn word he said. I think he's a great actor, but I think he's a horrible human being. And I, yeah, I got that vibe way before all the like rumors and stuff started and the stories started coming out. But then when the stories came, it's like, I can't, I can't, can't overlook this anymore. No, not yeah. at all. So the movie starts off and it's like one of my favorite things that Julianne's character was a food critic. I loved, I, I at that time, I didn't even know that was like a possibility yeah. and I was like oh, that's it that's the job for me and I loved how scared everybody in the kitchen was <laughs> there was literally a line that says I will kill your whole family if you don't get this right <laughs> like she seemed like she was the end-all be-all critic from ratatouille like <laughs> gonna make or break this restaurant the critic from ratatouille took his cues from Julianne. He did. Yeah. So that's how the movie starts. Well, not quite how the movie starts. What did I miss? The opening sequence. Oh, you're so right. An opening sequence that has nothing to do with the fucking movie. Nope. (laughs) And it is so perfect. I will sit through it every time. And I looked, it is almost four minutes long. Does not introduce any of the characters. Nope. It is just a woman dressed as a bride and two bridesmaids singing Wishing and Hoping in the pink room. Does and it is perfection. 
does her dress her the the bride's dress look familiar yes I did read the thing but I would have known that dress anywhere and (laughs) it's when Rachel comes into the coffee shop in on friends I love that rom-coms back in the 90s and even the early 2000s I don't see it as much I'm excited about the Barbie movie for many levels of reasons and I'm surprised (laughs) this is the first mention of it on the podcast but I miss the days of pastels that's one of the reasons why this first scene speaks to my eyes because of the pastels and the pinks and it's just so pretty and it reminds me a little bit of the old Hollywood musicals it's very reminiscent of Marilyn Monroe yes but that shade of green is not flattering on anyone at any time yeah it's it's a pea color but it's is it the same it's a little bit lighter than Tiana's dress from Princess yeah yeah, it's not great. The other bridesmaids wearing it too. So yes, the, the beginning of the movie starts with wishing and wishing and hoping. And the per the person who sings the song is like a rock star. I, I don't think I who have is it. it? What is her name? PJ? No, it's not. It can't be PJ again. Let me see. Who sings it? Annie DeFranco. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and originally it was said that she was supposed to be the person lip singing and she made a joke like, I have blue hair, blue spiky hair right now, (laughs) but it just timing didn't work out, but I thought that was kind of cool. But yes, back to, I guess, back to the the beginning, beginning of the movie, I suppose. Um, Julianne is tasting food at a restaurant and everyone's scared shitless, her best friends current best friend her adult best friend I don't even know what to call it her her new best friend her editor her editor (laughs) played by Rupert Everett is sitting across from her and she actually gives a nice review so everyone's not pissing their pants it's inventive and confident (laughs) is what she writes in her review and I believe this is the movie that spurned like I just I didn't have many friends that were members of the gay community Mm -hmm. but like one look at this character as like I need a friend like that and now I have many that are just sassy and happy and will break into random song for you and I love it I had a friend like this in high school but he didn't he wasn't out yet and then he stopped being friends with me later Hmm. which was sad but and by the way it's the end of the month but we would be remiss if we didn't wish all of our friends in the lgbtq community a very happy pride Pride. month we love you we will always be allies for you and so happy pride yes and if you have problems with this movie 100 percent understand because it is one of the movies that especially in the 90s set off the gay best friend trope yes where you didn't really get to fully realize and see gay characters have their own lives, their own plot lines, but they were actually vehicles to be supportive friends to the straight females, which is problematic. And yes. I think we're starting to get a little bit better. And we, of course, there's a ton of movies in the 90s that do a better job at the re- representation. 
But the shout out I'd love to give to Rupert Everett is that at that time he was fully out and he wasn't hiding and he was proud and he he played both gay and straight roles in his career, Mm -hmm. especially at that time. But he was, I thought, a really great representation of just being proud of who he was. Yeah, absolutely. So she calls her answering machine while she's at the restaurant and Michael has called and left a message and says, I, I'm in Chicago. Please call me back. It's urgent 4am, whatever. And then we get some exposition about how she knows Michael and they met in college and then they've had all these crazy adventures. They only dated for a month, but they've been best friends ever since and had all of these wild adventures. And it sounds like throughout the the past nine years of their relationship, it's ebbed and flowed. They've come together, had these experiences and then drifted apart again, but they're always there for one another when they needed each other. But then there was one night in Tucson after Margarita's that a blood oath was made. Yeah, he, that was like, there's parts of the story felt weird. One, her telling this story and talking about how they made this pact and almost putting Michael as being obsessed with her made Julian seem very um, narcissistic. Which yes. she is. Yes. And so as she's telling the story, she's pretty much just stating that Michael slit his hand, which at the time, I just feel like this was not too far after the AIDS epidemic. And mm-hmm. I just feel like this is not where we should go. Cause I don't know about you, but I definitely watched that HBO special with those, the, the little kids, the blood brothers. And we learned how like they, one of them got HIV because you know, it's like a whole thing. Anywho, I was like, yeah, we could have done better. Not the best example of just like a pinky promise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a high five, like write a, it a- write it in a bottle, put it in the ocean. (laughs) Like there could have been so many different ways they did this pact and blood was not one of them. Failed. She calls Michael when she gets back home and her PJs say red on them, which I liked. Did you notice that? I noticed that her room looked like a hotel room. Yeah. So I was like, is she in the hotel or is she home? I think she was at home. Um, no, because she's, they said, I don't know, maybe she was at a restaurant out of town and staying in a hotel. No, but her answering machine was there. Yeah, I know. I'm not saying that she was in a hotel, but it gave hotel vibes and it didn't feel personal. Nothing in that room want- felt personal, personal at all. Like, which I love in movies when you see a character's space, it yeah. gives you a glimpse of who they are. Because her clothing very much told us who she was. Yeah. Like the no-nonsense slacks and like oversized coats and vests and things like that. She didn't really care about being overly feminine. It is more about comfort and ease for her. It she was the, like. Yes, she was the cool girl. She was in yeah. muted tones, grays. And then when we meet Kimmy, it's like pastels, bright yellows, completely yeah. different which I understand. And they made her ultra masculine essentially where Mm -hmm. it was speaking to that nineties culture of working gal. And I don't need a man, 
which we've seen this before with Jordan and the best man, where it's like, if you have a career, then everything else is missing, right? So Julianne is an independent woman. She don't need no man. She's panic that Michael is going to call her about this pact and want to, you know, which I don't understand because it's like, if you're not interested, just say it. Like, why she panicked? But boy, does this bitch turn. blood in, blood out. <laughs> So she's talking to Michael. She when she calls him, she thinks she's gonna get his answer machine, but he actually answers and he actually turns some things around by saying he met somebody. And not only did he meet someone, he's getting married that Sunday. So it's Wednesday and that Sunday they're getting married. And it's a four-day event. Yes. Because her father is this billionaire that owns the White Sox. They got money. So it's like brunch like (laughs) outing just like all of these events that are scheduled for a four-day culminating with the wedding on Sunday and so now she's panicked she needs to fly to to Chicago and I'm like wait a minute why is he calling her the Wednesday before but he did say he had tried to call her like four or five times over the course of the month to try and get a hold of her and she never called back and she's like yeah. oh I was on a book tour blah 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 so it does seem like it is a whirlwind affair it is a whirlwind for Julianne because she hasn't she didn't answer and so she goes from I gotta let him down easy to I'm gonna lose him George so she starts to flip out and now she's in love with Michael she goes from Michael is my best friend that we talk sporadically and now I'm in love, I'm in love with him and I'm going to lose him. So I've got three days to break up this wedding and George. She's very confident. She's like, I'm going to go do the damn thing. And then I'll be home by Sunday. It's Julia. So I I understand, (laughs) (laughs) but I love that. I, I mean, yes, the confidence is bad in the sense that she's going to destroy a situation. I think After I finished watching this entire movie, the one thing that I can take from the movie and and I think it actually makes me think of another movie. If you took the romance part out of this movie and it speaks to like friendship, I can relate to it in such a deep way and two different parallels. One being that what we don't talk about enough is especially female friendships but it also happens in male friendships when you find a partner or your friend finds a partner your whole life your whole friendship changes and it changes forever it can't ever go back to the way it was you now have to share your person with someone else and I feel like this is coming from past experience yes this is (laughs) this is my experience with you getting married and 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 like having to figure out how to redefine my friendship with you like Mm -hmm. you got married you have this person and that person it's like a totally different relationship and especially when you're not kids anymore you're an adult now it it changes everything and this has happened too like I mean, do you know how many times in college Shayla cussed me out because I (laughs) started dating someone and I like acted brand new and that happens a lot with Mm -hmm. friendships and 
having to balance relationships and how do you balance two really important relationships. And for Julianne, she might think she's in love with Michael, but it's also this whole thing of like, this losing person, your best friend. Yeah. This person, and the dynamic that you, yeah, it's not going to be the same anymore. Now yeah. they have their person. So I think that also is how bridesmaids is. I think mm-hmm. this movie is a precursor to bridesmaids, except in bridesmaids, obviously the character is going through more of a tumultuous. She's doesn't know what's going on in her life. You know, mm-hmm. she's having like a mid life crisis but it's also this what does my life look like now that my person is going to have a whole nother life now Mm -hmm. I can't just call and he's gonna drop everything and hop on a plane to to come on my adventure that I am I'm going on or something like it's yeah it's very much oh, now he has this other person he has to think about and they come first. I don't come first anymore. Right. And like, and God forbid that person has kids. Yeah. That then it's like, unless you're doing it in tandem and you guys do it together, it works, but it takes a lot of communication and a strong situation for it to like, not to like rebuild or redefine and mm-hmm. that I think people don't talk about it. It's traumatic. It's a traumatic, a traumatic experience. And I think people brush over it and make it seem like it's nothing. Well, it's not a big deal. It is. It's that's life-changing. It's the same way. Like a kid feels when her, their parents get remarried. It, it yeah. changes the course of how things are. So when I look at it from that skew, from that view, I mean, I can have empathy for Julianne. <clears throat> The way she acts is not right. You don't do (laughs) what she does. You do not do what she does. So the thing about this (laughs) is that she doesn't do like one thing and then is like, oh, I fucked up. She just keeps fucking up upon fucking up. And I'm like, at a certain point, I can't forgive you anymore for just like, like going through some mental health shit in a like in an unhealthy way (laughs) like at some point you need to grow up and be like oh okay he loves her I have to accept it I have to support him and and that brings me to my second point of how I saw the movie in two lenses Michael is not Julianne's best friend at all it at all because if he was she would never, ever do the things that she does. Yeah. And that also speaks to just her not being a fully grown, realized person. She's selfish. Mm-hmm. She's got issues. She needs therapy. But also Michael is not her best friend. No. The other they have a good time when they're together. Yes. They're, they, they, they get along. Mm-hmm. But her real best friend is George. Yes. I think this movie is an ode to when you really love someone and they're acting a fucking fool. And George is the voice of reason. Like throughout the whole thing, he's like, this isn't going to work out well. Don't lie. And then she lies and says, George is her fiance. And he (laughs) is so fucking over the top with it because he's like, no, fuck you. Now you've like entrapped me into this shit show that you've mastered. 
uh, like created for yourself? No. He gives her a hard time, but he is he loyal. is very, very loyal to her. And I think when you're really friends with someone, you can see all see how Michael has Juliana on a pedestal. He doesn't know her real shit, her mm-hmm. low points and high points. Like he doesn't see insecurities, all of her, none yeah. of it. So yeah. that's how I know they're not real friends. But with George, she is free to be her crazy self. And he lets, he gives her enough leash to be like, okay, you go be crazy. Mm-hmm. But he pulls her in. He always tells her the truth. He always tells her when she's not doing right. And he's not afraid to do so. Um, yeah. They have an honesty in their relationship that he can be truthful with her. But also he he is still, he's not judging her, yeah. which is important. She's a narcissist, but he's not, he never judges her and he accepts her for who she is and he's mm-hmm. there to pick up the pieces when she falls yeah and that is what ride or die yeah <laughs> so we travel to chicago and as jules puts it she has four days to break up a wedding and steal the girl's fella <laughs> her southern accent does come out in this movie it does. And yeah. I'm just like, are you from New York? Are you a transplant from New York? Something ain't <laughs> added up because sometimes you sound in real South, Julia. <laughs> I don't think she's a New Yorker. Okay. She just ended up there. Yeah. Fair enough. And uh, Julia Roberts did say that it was nice that the the character's name was Jules because that's her nickname. So it was easy to yeah fall into that uh character and answer to it so now we're in chicago we're in the airport it's pre 9 11 so you're allowed to walk to the gate to meet whoever's getting off that plane and so there's a couple of points i want to address in this scene the number one is she just throws her shit on the ground and runs away from it to say hi to him someone's gonna snatch her bags julia has Karen energy in this movie she does a lot of it Mm -hmm. yeah so that was one thing I was like you never leave your bags unattended at the airport but this is pre-9-11 I know even then even then I know but still like like just someone stealing your purse now you can't fly home because you don't have ID rich people problems so speaking of rich people problems here comes Kimmy Pushing one of the like luggage carts for her teeny tiny purse. She maybe thinks Julianne has a lot of luggage, but those things aren't cheap. Those carts. Yeah. I've never in my life. Well, you wouldn't push it to the gate. You would just have it down in in baggage claim. She needed a prop for this scene. I think if she just walked by herself, she looked way too much of a badass bitch. <laughs> just saying. In her in her bright colors. She looks like sunshine, literally. Although her hair was all like leaning towards mullet. Just like had a toe in. It was the 90s. It wasn't a great haircut for Cameron. No. And as much as I love Julia Roberts' hair, it's not giving me curl and volume. It's give it there's moments where it's just kind of like straight. You need a brush. Like it's (laughs) you need some product. 
So Kimmy is very excited. She's never had a sister before. She loves Jules instantly because Michael loves Jules. He's told her all about Jules. So excited. By the way, will you be my maid of honor? Okay. So in girl world, if you went into this movie back in the day and thought Kimmy was naive and like really dumb, she was not. Kimmy was living that boarding school life. She's mm-hmm. been fucking with girls way above Julianne and her nonsense. But what she was playing, and don't think her mother that we see later on didn't have a seat with her and say, okay, how are we going to fix this bitch? Yeah. Because when I originally saw this movie for many times when I was younger, not knowing what I know now, I was just like, Kimmy, get your head in the game. But Kimmy's head was always in the game. She knew exactly what she was going to do. She had a plan way before Julianne got there. And she said, I'm going to kill this bitch with kindness and sugar sweetness. And keep and- my enemies close. Exactly. So to me, it makes no sense how... I would have done something similar. She would have never been my maid of honor, but all my bitches would have been with me at the airport. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. My husband would have said, hey, Julianne, here's blah, blah, blah. And then it would have been me and the girls and Julianne the whole fucking weekend. She would not see Michael. She would not see Michael. <laughs> she would ask what yeah, Michael there is. Was, there was no. a lot of alone time or time that I felt Kimmy and Michael should have been spending together. Yeah. Where Jules is like, Hey guys, what we all doing today? Like, like (laughs) Jules just kept inserting herself, which I mean, that was her goal. Yeah. But yeah, Kimmy didn't, didn't say, nah, we're good. You don't have to come to this. Yeah. But that's where her young youngness and naiveness was there a, a yeah. bit, but I think she definitely had a strategy. And she does say it at the end when they have a mm-hmm. confrontation that she was keeping her enemies closer. But I just thought it was odd she didn't have any real girlfriends to be like, "We're keeping a watchful eye on this Julian." Yeah, because her only other bridesmaids were her two debutante cousins from Nashville, who are. Arlene from True Blood Mm -hmm. and Rachel Griffith, who was on Six Feet Under is what I know her. Well, what I know her from is one of my favorite movies, which is Muriel's Wedding, who PJ, the director of this movie, directed right before. And when I tell you the man loves a wedding, yes, (laughs) he does love a wedding and he loves a sing-along. Because there were so many moments like I had forgotten, obviously, the the opening scene and then the scene at the restaurant. I'm like, oh, yeah, they're sing-alongs. But then we get Michael singing on the boat. Yes. Then we get the boys sucking helium singing. Yes. We get karaoke. Yes. And then at the end, we get the cousin singing the way you look tonight. Yes. At the wedding. Like there are so many characters, not bands singing in this movie. Like <laughs> it's I was like, there is a whole lot of singing for this not to be a musical. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, so this movie is so popular that it's been made in it's been remade twice in two different countries in Mexico. And I think there's a 
Chinese version. And right before COVID, they announced that they were going to make a musical version of this movie, but they just canceled it due to COVID. It probably will come back up later on after, you know, things mm-hmm. die down. And in 2015, they had announced that they were going to make a My Best Friend's Wedding TV show that was supposed to be a spinoff of the film and it was going to take place immediately after the events of the, the movie. And it was going to, it would be about Julianne and Michael as they returned to New York. But that got stuck in development hell, so it didn't go anywhere. And there's been words, there's been talk multiple times of a sequel And if there was a sequel, PJ said that it would be about Michael. It would center around George, which love. Yeah, I give me more. And I will say, I don't hate Don. Why can't I say his name? (laughs) Dermot Mulroney. He's in one of my favorite wedding movies, The Wedding Date. (laughs) And I think he's fabulous in that. I just didn't see it with him and Kimmy. He needed a Deborah or a Julia. It's the red hair. Maybe. He needed a little fire. Honestly, I didn't care either way. I don't think I ever had an attachment to his character. But now that I rewatched it, all I could say is that he's 100% a fuck boy. The 1990s. My very favorite decade, especially for music. This is Dope Nostalgia, and I'm your host, Naomi Carmack. And every week, we revisit the era that brought us Hammer Pants, Crystal Pepsi, Pogs, Hypercolor, Pokemon, and some of the greatest songs of all time. On Dope Nostalgia, not only do I have episodes where I talk about the big artists of the 90s with friends, but sometimes those big artists come on the show. Past guests include Naughty by Nature, George Lamont, Alana Miles, Color Me Bad, Biff Naked, Ed the Sock, Shakespeare's Sister, Two Unlimited, The Funky Bunch, Technotronic, Rosala, Tara Kemp, Mr. Big, Honeymoon Sweet, Right Said Fred, and so many more. You can always leave us a voicemail and tell us what you think, and we'll play it on the show. 780-851-8785. Dope Nostalgia. A podcast made for 90s kids like me. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Podbean, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are served. And just... So as we get to know Kimmy in the movie, Mm -hmm. we learn that Kimmy is 20 years old. She's in college. She's going to school to be an architect. Yes, her dad is rich, but she has her own goals in life. And Michael is a sports writer who travels. He covers baseball, I believe, right? Yes. Uh, Yeah. So he's constantly following around, you know, as they're in training and all that other stuff. As the teams move around, he's moving around. And he and Kimmy have come to a conclusion that after they get married, they're not going to have a honeymoon. They're going to follow Michael to whatever games he's going to. And Kimmy's not going back to school. And Michael is 100% okay with this. She is only a year away from graduating. And Michael is okay with Kimmy. Not only okay, like he guilt trips her when her dad offers him like of course Jules orchestrates the whole thing 
but daddy offers him like a cush like PR job at the White Sox. He's still be doing something with baseball, right? And, and writing. but and writing, and, and he would just not be traveling. And Kimmy would be able to finish school. And he like is so pissed. And like, we talked about this and you were okay. And like, Kimmy does just cave because she loves him so much that she's constantly apologizing for shit she should not be apologizing Mm -hmm. for. But this is a prime example of when older men, because he's 28, date young girls. Because she she's 20. We don't know shit at 20. Yeah. So yeah, she's willing to bend over backwards and do whatever. She has not even scratched the surface of her womanhood at all yet. Mm-hmm. And why why are you swimming around in a college pool, Michael? And he's not covering major, major leagues. No, minor it's leagues. all the yeah, it's all the farm teams. Cause he's, they mentioned like San Antonio and Sacramento. I'm like, there are no major league, major league baseball teams there. Like, so you're just, you're having your cake and you're eating it too. You're <laughs> yeah. living your best single life, traveling around, doing whatever. Oh, and now I'm just going to wife up, but I'm just going to bring her along. Yeah. And continue my life. It was very misogynistic. I was surprised that I yeah. never noticed that when I watched this movie so many times yeah, and, and Julianne, she plays that like a fiddle. She plays them mm-hmm. like a fiddle note learning the, that, you know, Kimmy's giving this up and she pokes holes in everything that she possibly can. Yeah. So I think where we are now is uh, Jules is kind of voluntold that she's going to be made of honor. And yeah. so they go to the dress fitting. There's a, a little bit of physical comedy. Jules like rips the dress. I watched some behind the scenes footage and there is a blooper where on the first take when Julia is supposed to just step down from the pedestal and rip the dress in the thigh, mm-hmm. she, because the dress is so tight, she like trips and falls, but it's like this staggered like three or four like point Mm -hmm. fall and she does it so gracefully afterwards she's just like Cameron's talking about how it was hilarious no everyone can stop laughing and Julie's like I'm just glad I didn't hurt myself because it was so tight it was like she was bound so it was like she stepped down fell down to her knees like started falling forward it was just like this very (laughs) weird graceful awkward fall I always obsessed with her bridesmaids gown and the her color was the same lavender color my mom's the bridesmaid dress I wore to my mom's wedding but I was always sad because I never got to have like the cool halter thing your eyeshadow matches the dress it did you do that on purpose no (laughs) (laughs) and if you notice the detail so like right where her like armpit vaginas are armpit <laughs> vaginas that's a that's good one. that's this right here she has these little rosettes which yeah. are the floral fabric of the bridesmaids dresses I didn't like I didn't care for that part because it kept on making me care. think there was a pin or something there yeah I did not care for what the fuck Kimmy is wearing that like 
Yeah. It, it looks like she's wearing a cummerbund. There's lots of like, <laughs> yeah, people old have- origami dress. I, what is that? People have talked shit about Kimmy's dress. It's on, terrible. On the and it looks fucking heavy. It was heavy as shit. That's all I Whew. can say. Okay. Let's go back. So, um, trying on the, the maid of honor dress. So she makes a hole in it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And Kimmy is just t- rattling off and just pretty much telling her Julianne about herself because mm-hmm. of all the things Michael has said. And so, you know, you could tell Julianne is annoyed. And again, Kimmy's at play here. And then when she finally rips the dress, then she goes to the dressing room and she calls up George, George. to bitch. And Michael walks in with the dress altered and fixed. What? Why is that man, that engaged man, walking into a dressing room with his former lover Mm. and her bra and panties? Because they're best friends. Yeah, Mm. it's and he's like looking good. This is another example of Michael just being an absolute fuckboy and just he does he leads on julianne i'm gonna he does he does i cannot fault her for like getting those like glimpses and she's looking for it so it's gonna be even more meaningful those little bits that he's throwing her and that's why it's so hard for me to believe the moments where he where she tries to tell him how he feels that he doesn't know that she's about to say this but it could also be the dynamic of their friendship where he always liked her more than she liked him. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he's so used to her being kind of flirty and not it being reciprocated that he knows he's friend zoned essentially because in the beginning, or maybe movie, deep down he knows and he's just like, whatever, like she strung me along for this right. time. Like, you know, like let's turn the tables and just, I'm a do me. Julianne is to keep vagina in a in a box for him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Smash in case of an emergency. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I did not care for, and it wasn't even like he, he should have been. He didn't even turn around when she got no. like nervous about her. No. He's like, oh, it's nothing. I've seen you more naked than that. She had an appropriate reaction. Mm-hmm. He should have been respectful to his future wife and not even put anyone in that situation. But if Kim, if I were Kimmy and I found out about that shit, oh, were you just walking into the dressing room with her half naked and you know she's half naked? Mm-mm. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. It make just it makes it, sense. It just doesn't. Any girl who knows that your best friend you guys used to rub body parts against each other no you've been inside her no she's lucky she can be be at the wedding nonetheless yeah in the fucking wedding yeah this shit don't it don't fly with me no but the, i guess the best man is the equivalent and we saw what happened when he found out that his fiance slept with his best friend years ago he still was <laughs> losing this shit i just no no it's just not happening it's not happening and then the ending part doesn't make sense either because you you try to steal my man and you're still going to be my fuck no no it's not (laughs) happening so 
now we're in the hotel getting ready for, I guess, a cocktail hour, a lunch. There's a lot of meals in this movie. So they get in the elevator and Kimmy pulls the emergency stop. Apparently Jules is claustrophobic. is claustrophobic, starts to immediately have a panic attack while Kimmy's rambling and rambling and rambling and rambling. She has this throwaway line where she can't sing. She's terrified of it. More rambles, finally. And, and the culmination is essentially, I was trying to figure out how to approach this because you've always been the one for him. And so I've just kind of relinquished the fact that he has a pedestal, you on a pedestal and me in his arms. There's no, okay. Woman to woman? I ain't never admitting that shit to no fucking No. Woman. And secondly, I to know your second place, you know your second All place. All the ways. Yeah. No. And she it's tells Jules, happening. you win. No. Never. No. It makes no sense. So they get the elevator started again. And then like Jules does more like comedic like Pratt falls she runs out of the elevator and hits a waiter and is now on the floor this is where we meet the debutante bridesmaids I don't they like, know what's up I don't like that they call like they're all they call them sluts pretty much every yeah. chance they get in this movie yeah that that's not cool but and but they seem they, like the coolest people there yeah I mean one licked the penis ice sculpture at the, <laughs> the brunch yeah so they do say like you could tell they were like jules look into my eyes we know that we know we know what's going on right a hundred yeah we know so now we're at the baseball game they're in the box because he's wearing owns the dip yeah this is my favorite line this is the part with my favorite line. I've got moves you've never seen before. It's way more country than that, Danielle. I know, but it's I've my got favorite moves line. you've never <laughs> seen. <laughs> I'm a different Julianne. <laughs> There's a scene, like, obviously, you could tell that she knows the family mm-hmm. and his dad, his brother. She meets Kimmy's dad. And then later on, there's a scene with Michael and Julianne talking and she just seems she's she's she reeks of desperation in this this Mm -hmm. scene where she's pretty much where he describes what it's like to be with Kimmy and how she will hug him and not pull away Mm -hmm. and I think so it's so relatable because so many women especially as we get older we've been burned we've been hurt and then it makes it harder for us to be that open, that vulnerable. I will yeah. never be as open and vulnerable as I was when I was 20. And I just was like in love and just completely open and not overthinking everything as mm-hmm. I do. Like, ain't nobody going to come hurt me no more. <laughs> you know, like it's not going to yeah. happen. And so he's telling Julianne this story about how Kimmy will let him hug her for as long as he wants and does not pull away Mm -hmm. while Julianne did not do that. And so she asked, like, did I, you know, did I pull away? He's before she could even answer. He's like, yeah, bitch. Yeah. (laughs) 
you never let me hug you long enough. You always pulled away. Just meant he wasn't the right one, Julianne. You knew he was a fair boy deep down in your heart. So he does call her out for never being comfortable with the love stuff is how he puts it. Yeah. Like she has that wall. She's, she's not going to entirely give herself emotionally and vulnerability wise to someone. And that's kind of what draws him to Kimmy. So after this, okay, go ahead. But what I think later on, when we see him meet George, Mm -hmm. that is when it clicks for him that George just might be the right one even though clearly George is gay but because of how vulnerable and how like he is like so mushy over her and she kind of lets it happen yeah he is shocked by that yeah yeah and she can be vulnerable with George because she knows that he's not gonna hurt her (laughs) yeah exactly now we're at karaoke she swears that she just thought it was a a fun bar (laughs) we go in she's like oh yeah i put our names in blah 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 they they're talking about margaritas they order for one another kimmy's like can i get an amstel light so this scene it it doesn't just it doesn't just relate to like them having chemistry everyone can relate to this at some point where they have been around two friends or two people who have a bunch of inside jokes and you're literally third willing it you sit like this yeah I've done that with you when I meet some of your friends I'm like yeah hello yeah (laughs) but like it just depends because people don't do it on purpose. They just, no. they, they have their inside jokes. We, I'm sure we've done it to people unknowingly or not. I uh, can just sat in the corner for a week <laughs> while we just talked about nonsense. <laughs> Poor Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the, when we were recording drive me crazy and he came in very quietly and just sat on the couch in the dark until you were done. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Poor Ken. Yes, Ken is a victim of us doing that all the time. Yeah, and he just, you roll with it. Because like, it, if you love someone enough, then you just, eventually you'll get there with their other friends too, where you have that comfort level. It may not be all the inside jokes and stuff, but like you can talk about things and relate. It's just coming into such a strong bond where you're you're kind of the outsider this, this happens when you and heather are doing a movie you guys like and you, <laughs> this, that it that moment in that that's what happened yeah i'm like hello <laughs> are we gonna recite every line of this movie today we've it's, been really good so far it's not heather it's you heather doesn't do it as much it, it you get really excited i do get really excited <laughs> There's just certain movies that just tickle me so. I know. So Kimmy's like, I don't want to sing. No, please. And Kim, oh, let's rewind a second. And so during this interaction, when they're talking about Florence and having such a great time, Kimmy's trying to be part of the conversation. Yeah, she she's does. been to Florence. <laughs> yes, she And has. no one is listening to no. her. But and then finally, being an asshole. Yeah. And she's just like, well, why don't you take Kimmy to Florence? Type thing. Like, 
There's well, no need is, to be rude. He do, she does it because she she sees that when Kimmy tells her that they're not going on on a, on a honeymoon, mm-hmm. that's like her in. And so when she says that, she's like, "You should take Kimmy for your honeymoon." And, that's right. And then he's like, "Oh well, we're gonna." She's like, "Yeah, I heard your little travel plans," and. And Kimmy, she's like, Kimmy, when are you going back to school? And this is when she finds out Kimmy is not going back to school. And it's just like, even in that moment, I feel like Julianne's like, girl. Yeah. Yeah. Like Julianne in this situation is not wrong. No. No. Calling him out on his bullshit. That's like what a real friend does. Like, hey, you're kind of being a dick right now. And this is her future that you're fucking up. And he's not hearing any of it. But then like back to our regularly scheduled fucking up of Kimmy. She doesn't want to sing, doesn't want to sing. And, and Jules is like, oh, no, no, no. We're not going to make her sing. Grabs the microphone and is like, and now for Kimmy. And like shoves the microphone in her face. <laughs> and it is God awful. And Cameron Diaz actually sang. And she was genuinely terrified. And the director... <laughs> Let her think she would be lip syncing and then they got her to sing live. That shit was horrible. I'm not going to even lie. That bitch can't even carry a tune. Sorry for. I I relate. (laughs) I just don't give a fuck. (laughs) Facts. I get that. So now Kimmy's kind of like, I need to go home. I I have... (laughs) expended all of my social energy on that fucking karaoke song but also she has like something to do with her grandmother so that's one of the reasons why she's leaving like her grandmother's having like a lunch or something that's why she's heading and julianne's supposed to go with her and julianne does another nasty wicked thing where she's like sorry michael we've gotta go blah 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 and you know it's necessary and julian kimmy's like it's not not necessary really and so julian's like all right and she hops back out of the cab and she's like i'll stay with michael and kimmy's like she can't she can't back out of it now that she's not important um what i can give props to julianne is that she doesn't she doesn't full-on try to seduce michael or anything right Mm -hmm. away she does use all the time she has in these four days to lay her groundwork so even though she's spending time with them she's making sure they're reminiscing she she's pointing out flaws but she does it in a very slick way also because michael's a fucking idiot there is a lot of gaslighting that happens throughout this movie yes yeah they grab some food they're sitting That's right. on the steps of the train because in Chicago, their train stations are above. So they're sitting on the stairs and they're eating and um, shooting the breeze. I forgot what they were talking about, though. Let me see. I think it was I think it was about Michael's job. And yeah, she's yeah. kind of calling him out about like, this is not a grown up's job. This is like a job you get straight out of college. I know that you love it, but like, it's time to grow up. And yeah, she's like, 
has this not come up with Kimmy, especially with her dad, especially who her dad is. Mm-hmm. And he kind of is just like, no, we're fine. And that's not Kimmy that she'll never do that and blah, blah, blah. So she starts to plant the seeds mm-hmm. of doubt. And he's like, that's not Kimmy. And then she makes it so that it is yep. Kimmy down the line. Yeah. Um, and then we are, they, you know, do I don't know if we see them go t- back to the hotel, but I, I, it is, I think we see the next day, right? Well, I'm trying to figure out, I guess there's another scene with the three of them because her dad does offer her, him the, the job. And now he's pissed because he's told Julian, like, Kim would never do that to me, blah, blah, blah. He says, this was our plan. This is what we decided. And he's like arguing with her. And she's trying to say like, I would like to stay in school and not have to drop out. That happened, but that happens way later. This is, that's when they go to dinner. Julianne's in a black outfit. Her hair is up. That's like the next day. Yeah, that's, that's the next scene. I have. Well, it can't be because Julianne has to plot and scheme with Kimmy first to get her dad to tell her dad to to ask her dad for the favor of saying that she wants Michael to stay home and they work as like a co-conspirator. And when and then they go to dinner and she sets it up. So it's a different night. Okay. I don't know. I think the next the next day is when she sets it up with Kimmy like okay during the day yeah they're having tea and then that night is when they go for dinner yeah and they spring it on him and she keeps look Kimmy keeps looking at Julianne like for approval for backup and he the way he loses it in this scene is like so so just out of out of pocket it shows a lot about who he is he he literally tells her forgive me for screwing up your plans and he like, also says i'm i now it seems like i'm the misogynist so he knows he is yeah yeah mm, trash yeah and julianne is she sucks. is like this is a really good opportunity which it is yeah like she's not wrong in this Kimmy is not wrong in this. Yeah, the nepotism is real, but <laughs> you're also moving not, up yeah. in your career. You're not going anywhere with this job. It, yeah, it, it, you're not. So yeah, he gets really mad. But then, you know, Kimmy does stick up for herself. Mm-hmm. But as soon as Michael gets up to like walk out, she, she like, caves. She doesn't just cave. That bitch was almost on her fucking knees grabbing his legs like, I can't let you go. Yeah. And this actually takes Julianne back a bit because I think in her mind, she was looking at Kimmy as the reaction she thought Kimmy was going to have were going to be reactions she would have or a grown-ass woman would have not Kimmy is not. <laughs> Please like, don't leave off. me. So she's just like, what the fuck? So they get back, they they work things out. And so when Kit Juliana goes back to her hotel, 
she must have called. She called George. George mm-hmm. is at he's at dinner at his home with friends, and she leaves this crazy ass. She's yelling on his voice message, and he's like, "Oh God!" And he has to fly up to fly out to save her fucking ass because yeah. she loses. She's spiraling. So he flies to Chicago. He's afraid of flying, but he still comes. Her room is trashed because she is eating chocolates and drinking her mini bar out I of love, house and home. House and home. I love when he walks in and says, what a hideous room. And so she does say he, she just does say it's so hard because I want to hate Kimmy And if I wasn't here to hate her, I would adore her because she is perfect and not, yeah, and not in an annoying way, in a vulnerable and endearing way. And so the shit's hard. Yeah. I love that in this scene that, that he's, he wipes off her face mask Mm -hmm. as they're like, she's talking and she is so like high level at this point she's hype and he he caught he calls her out he's like is this because you love him or because you need to win and when she tries to get up I love that he pulls her hair back because they're laying on the bed and he's like no and he does ask her that hard question and she says like at first it was to win but now Mm -hmm. it's because I realize I love him I still think it's to win yeah, I think it's to win as well. And so then they go and meet Michael for his tux fitting. fitting for she interrupts some his. She interrupts his tux fitting because he has okay. now. George has convinced her, like, let's stop the charade, <laughs> as he would say, and you need to tell him. Just yeah. tell Michael the truth, and let's let's wrap this up. So she does go with the intention of telling Michael and she just cannot get it out. And he's acting so obtuse in this scene as well, but he does catch George. Like, so she like George (laughs) is like way far in the background, but Michael sees her walk in with George. And then like George gives gives her a kiss as like encouragement, like, go tell the truth <laughs> and so then michael is immediately jealous Red flags, yeah yeah and so they're having this conversation she's trying to tell michael what's going on and then michael's like oh here can you hang on to this and gives her the wedding band and so she's like what the fuck is this that ring is boring yeah it was pretty basic yeah it was just like but it but it shows the difference in monies that Michael has in comparison to what probably Kimmy is used to. Yeah. Cause it was just like a, probably a white gold um, band with like a pave setting. So just like little chips <laughs> ain't nobody want little chips. Anyway, I- it's, it's only the wedding band. It's not the actual wedding ring. I feel like if I have a really nice wedding ring, I don't need my wedding band to be like extravagant but I didn't like that wedding band. Yeah. But yeah. It didn't even go all the way around. Girl, you were really clocking this ring. I was. So then she just, she can't get out. Or or George like knocks over a mannequin or something. So Michael's like, who's that? And so then all of a sudden, George is Jules's fiance. And he he's pissed. He is pissed and he's pissed. 
He is pissed. <laughs> he does say you're going to pay for this. And he is, she's like, look, I just don't be over the top. Don't be over the top. He's like, hold my beer. Yeah. Hold my to- white wine spritzer. <laughs> the way, so they go to the church and mm-hmm. Michael tells everybody, he tells Kimmy that they're get that Julianne and George are getting married. And, but before they get to the church, they're in the cab. Julianne is thirsting over Michael. George turns and said, you're supposed to be like, he puts his arm around her and he starts the way that he's like feeling her. I love this. She's like, stop it. And so Michael is like annoyed by their affection and he, he spits it out and says, I'm kind of surprised because every time you've ever talked about George, I've always gotten, you know, a hint that maybe he was, and George is like gay. And he's like, (laughs) yes. So George says he pretends to be gay to get the ladies and then they get to the church. And when Michael tells Kimmy the noises that Cameron Diaz makes in this scene as she's <laughs> running down the aisle. Is and then insane. like Rupert Everett <laughs> matches her energy and <laughs> the squealing that happens. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. I love I, I really do love that part in the comedic t- timing where they're just like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and when he slaps her ass I'm like what the f- <laughs> I know <laughs> she's just like ooh, <laughs> and her mother comes running I like when she's running she's like got her hands like hung like this and she it's very inv- Alexis Rose it is <laughs> And she, the mom invites George to lunch. So they mm-hmm. go to lunch. It looks like, I don't know what restaurant it looks. It looks like um, one of those kind of Bennigan's weird. Like there's like a Joe's floating. Crab Shack. Yeah. So the whole family's there for lunch and everyone's obsessed with George and Julianne trying to figure out how did you guys meet and all this other stuff. And, you know, Julianne doesn't want to give any details. George is like, bitch, we're going to ride this out. And it, like he fashions some story about meeting in a mental institution and a, a person who thought they were Dion Warwick. And then the cousins are like, that's Whitney Houston's aunt. And like, oh, that's how you know who Dion Warwick is. That's sad. <laughs> well, so this iconic scene in the restaurant where George bursts into song, it wasn't in the original script, but PJ Hogan told Entertainment Weekly that he added it because he wanted to give George a bigger role. When George's original role, who, by the way, in the original script was called, his name was Digger. Thank God they changed that. He was supposed to have a small role, but when they showed the movie to the test audiences, they absolutely loved him. And so they had, they expanded his role. Same. (laughs) <laughs> oh, you saying that you loved it. And also he, when PJ thought about like how to expand this role, he was talking to his wife and he's like, it just needs a sing-along. He just needs a sing-along. And him and his wife kind of discussed and he, that's where he landed on doing, I say a little prayer for you, which brings us to this wonderful soundtrack. I told you I'm obsessed with the soundtrack. I listened to it over and over and over again. But there are six Burt Baccarat songs who also with Hal David or Hal David, Hal David, who was his writing partner, six, six of their songs 
which is amazing, but also even more amazing that most of the songs were originally performed by Dion Warwick. So gotta love it. Gotta love, gotta love that it's all bringing it back. So in this scene, George starts out speaking the the first lines of the song. So he's like, when I wake up, (laughs) before I put on my makeup, I say a little prayer for you. Everyone gets in on it. There are lobster claws clapping. (laughs) There are people in like little like rain slickers. The the dad has a solo. (laughs) Who... Who is right? T.R. Polk from Camp Nowhere. <laughs> we just had a very Danielle Jackie moment where we didn't have to say many words to get there. <laughs> yes. Uh, so yes, my favorite part of the whole movie. I love it so much. It was a cover for the soundtrack by Di- yeah, Diana King and made it to the US Billboard Hot 100. It was a smashing success and internationally I, too. Like it made it made them I think number 1 in Australia maybe. Like wow. Any other Yeah, got to love it. It was a great. It was it's a great album. I listened to it a lot. I this scene uh I love it. I just want at an event, we just spontaneously break out in song. Although my family does that a lot, just sitting in the family room. So yeah. And I sing a lot on this podcast for some reason, even (laughs) though I don't have a good voice, I do appreciate nobody sending in complaints. Thank you. Same. We are aware, yes, but it's our podcast, and we'll see if we want to. It's my party, and I'll sing, sing if, if I want, want to sing. sing if if I want to. <laughs> you would sing too if you had if a podcast. Do, 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 do. And the whole time, George is kind of regaling the story of how they met. Michael is just full on staring. He is not having a good time, which is a problem. And why does Kimmy not realize that her husband to be? She's just singing along. She's happy to be there. Other people are singing. She's not doing karaoke. It's fine. Ecstatic that this bitch is getting off the market. That's what it is. Yes, a hundred percent. They finish the scene and they go to the airport to drop off George. Yes. So George is not staying the weekend. Which why not? If you're there, just stay there. Right. Because the airfare that he ends up coming for a back last later. minute flight, yeah, what? and he comes back later, so yeah. yeah, and he he tells her it's never gonna work out. You need to tell her the truth, or like his parting words as he gets on the airplane. She gets in the cab and just tells Michael, We're no longer lies. engaged, <laughs> like we thought it was gonna work out, but it didn't. She he can't stack up against you, Michael. Oh my god, the the ego pumping she did in this scene. And so Michael's like, let's just spend the day together, you and me. And where's Kimmy at? Kimmy's doing bride stuff and um she's not watching her man. She's not. But they go on one of the boat tours in Chicago and they talk about their time going to Venice. 
And this is where Michael admits that him and Kimmy, like he talks about how quickly they fell in love and Mm -hmm. they don't even have a song. And he's like, you must think I'm kind of crazy for getting married. And that's when he starts to sing the way you look tonight. Mm -hmm. And um, they dance on the boat. Yes. And then in the next scene, Jules volunteers to pick up the father-in-law for the stag party, the bachelor party, the night before the wedding. Really, it's just an excuse to get into his office. She says she needs to make some phone calls. He's in a meeting. So he's like, yeah, go ahead and use my office. No problem. This is the worst thing that she's done. That Like she... Everything she's done up to this point is really fucking shitty. But this, I would never talk to her again. There's no forgivingness. No. And the father-in-law's not pissed after this. The mother-in-law, Kimmy. Like, why is she still at the wedding after this shit that she pulled? The hands that my mother would have thrown at this. You use my email to do what? (laughs) After I kindly let you make phone calls in my office? I'm sorry. What? Yeah. That's why I'm like, this shit would not ride anybody would sense. Like, this is crazy. So essentially what happens is Jules, instead of making her phone calls, uses the father-in-law's laptop, PowerBook, Mac PowerBook, to (laughs) compose an email to Michael's boss saying, we've presented Michael with this great opportunity. He declined. I hope you would encourage him to take it, blah, blah, blah. And my daughter hopes so too. And Jules does have a moment of clarity, which is um, quickly. This this is awful. I'm an awful human being. Yeah, which quickly flits by. So she does not send it. It asks her, do you want to delete it or do you want to save the draft? And so she's hemming and hawing. She sees the father-in-law coming. So she saves the draft. So as they're leaving, like Jules is out of earshot, but he's the father-in-law is talking to a secretary and he's like kind of giving her instructions for wrapping up the day. And he says, I have four or five emails in my drafts. Can you please send them out before I leave or before you leave? And so the next scene, it's weird because the next scene is immediately Jules panicking. It's nighttime. They're trying to get back into the office. She has made up this story about how she left really important. Because she wanted Michael to just see the draft on the father-in-laws. It was like her last ditch effort. Mm -hmm. So she just wanted him to see the draft, not actually send it. But they couldn't get in. They got the wrong keys. And so Julianne is freaking out because this is her linchpin in her plan. Yeah, And they get back to the hotel and Michael gets a fax from the front desk and finds out from his boss that his father-in-law has sent this email and he sends him the email and he loses his shit, tells Julianne to go sit in the hallway because he calls Kimmy and they are going at it. And she is really panicked at this point and feels really bad. And this whole scene, this reminds me just how disgusting the 90s were about smoking it's just it's almost like I know Marlboro paid you for this scene it's ridiculous and then to counteract it you do a whole scene about how about smoking Paul Giamatti just shows up randomly it was he shot this this came out right after private parts which was kind of his breakout role 
Yeah. Uh, prior to that, he had had small roles. So I'm wondering if this was actually shot before private parts. It just happened to come out after. I, I, I would I would imagine yeah. so. And so they're smoking it. The whole scene is a throwaway scene, to to be yeah. honest. But I but I feel like to counteract the fact that they just did a pro smoking commercial in this movie, Michael is like, I want you to stop doing this shit. It's gonna you're gonna kill yourself pretty yeah. much. And me, as the reigning president of Student Tobacco Reform Initiative Knowledge for Eternity, I support Michael's stop initiative. Smoking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can never let y'all forget. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day, she's like, do you want to stay? He's like, no, I just want to be alone. He leaves. So she goes to bed. And Kimmy denied the whole thing, obviously, because... She didn't fucking do it. Right. And so so this is also the part where she has to confess that she tried on the basic wedding band and she couldn't get it off. This fucking scene. How is this PG-13? It shouldn't be because there's actually a very rare instance where the word fuck is used in a sexual context in a PG-13 film. Usually that is an automatic R rating. Julia pulled some strings, man. Yeah, well, that was the scene where they were asking George why he was there and she was like, to fuck me. That's yeah. what... <laughs> that, so, I will say that threw me off. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, Michael to get the wedding band of his future bride's off of Jules's finger, his sticks mouth. her finger in his mouth all the way and like pulls it off with his teeth. And her face, the faces she makes in this scene, it's it's a this whole scene was a lot. And I cannot believe I've brushed by it so many times over the years seeing it. But that tells me my brain wasn't dirty yet. <laughs> you weren't fully formed I wasn't I was just I was just a baby <laughs> so now it's the next day someone's pounding on her door she's getting up then they slip a note under the door and it's essentially a note from Michael saying that he's going to the brunch to confront Kim Kimmy because she hasn't told anyone that the wedding's called off yet do you so, notice in this scene as she's going to the what like to the house that she has two pairs of sunglasses, one on her head and one on her face? This viewing, no, but I have noticed that in the past. Yeah. That's how much of a rush she was in. But it, it but it disappears after a few mm. scenes. So I just think it's a mistake. Fair. So she's going through the the garden, trying to find Michael. He sees her walk by, so he gets up and and goes over. And she's like, "Have you changed your mind?" He's like, "No, it's over. I came to confront Kimmy." Um, but can you go check on her first? Like, Why? how does Julianne not get the the hint here? Yeah, 
this these scenes just proceed pretty much julianne going back and forth like a fucking tennis ball between kimmy and michael pretty much she's just playing telephone yeah they pretty much are saying they love each other they still want to get married Mm -hmm. and this is heart-wrenching for her but she she's she tells them she tells them instead of going back and forth and telling them more lies she tells them the truth she starts like it starts finally sinking in like this shit is not gonna happen she does give a really really weird food analogy where kimmy is creme brulee and jules is jello and kimmy can never be jello when i that line i remember fully (laughs) and she's like I can be jello. You can never be jello. Creme brulee can never be jello. So yes, I'm not jello. I would be more of a pudding. Yeah. My little pudding pop. And then this is where we get the boys singing helium because they are blowing up a million balloons in the tennis court. So we see Christopher Matheson who plays Michael's younger brother from Malcolm in the Middle, the oldest Mm -hmm. brother. Also, the guy who's on that show, Power, that I believe that's him in his younger form. And I was like surprised because I never remembered seeing him, probably because I never saw him in anything else. I don't even know what that show is. It's all right, Jackie, don't worry. It's on Stars. It's a 50 Cent show. I will admit, I never really watch it. But I, I don't do. have stars, so that's my excuse. <laughs> you would Okay. So Michael, after this back and forth, and like Kimmy still loves him, he still loves Kimmy. He decides he's going to marry her anyway. And Jules at that point is at her wit's end. She doesn't know what else to do. So she just confesses. She she confesses the that she loves him. She says, choose me, marry me, let me make you happy. And Which then is- she kisses him this scene if you're a Grey's Anatomy fan this is the Meredith scene in the first season I believe where she's like love me marry me choose Mm -hmm. me this is that fucking scene yeah Shonda what should be doing Shonda does pull from a lot from pop culture so I'm I'm totally okay with it so Kimmy sees Julian kissing Michael she takes off. Michael runs after her. Julian run, runs after him, steals a bread truck. And leaves and is, the bread truck because when she's coming, when she goes to find Kimmy, she takes a cab. Yeah. Poor, poor man. Cornucopia baking is missing their bread truck. I, w- I was looking at all that bread and I was like, damn, son. I think <laughs> I even spotted a, a chocolate croissant. Oh. Croissant. 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 I can't say it. Fuck it. I'm not French, you people. Leave me alone. You were in Spanish last time. You're not French this time. Whatever. <laughs> Which Kai Bobby did call out your, your Spanish. <laughs> they did. He's, they said, if we could please get Danielle speaking more Spanish so flawlessly on the episodes, that would be great. <laughs> Thanks, Kai. By the uh, way, he's a champion. By the way, we have booked, we are booked for Rotten Treasures to do National Treasure 2. <laughs> because <laughs> Simone from Roll Call Bond was like, you 
complaining that National Treasure wasn't National Treasure <laughs> 2 was one of the best parts. Of that. <laughs> Where's Mount Rushmore? <laughs> still mad. Still fucking mad. Yay. <laughs> well, we'll we'll fulfill your national treasure wishes. Thank God. So now while Jules is driving a stolen vehicle, she calls George and she's like, it's not going well. (laughs) I told him the truth. And now he's chasing Kimmy. And he's like, so you're chasing him. He's chasing Kimmy, but who's chasing you, Jules? Who's there for you? (laughs) Think about this. So she goes to, she follows them to the train station, loses Michael in the crowd and is like walking dejected back to the stolen bread truck, it seems. And he's sitting in the waiting area, just completely defeated because he was sure that Kimmy was going to go there because that's where he proposed to her. He's not going to go back to the place where your love was where you may declare that you love me and that you wanted to marry me. I'm going to go to a place that makes me feel safe because you have fucking pissed me off. Yes. So she confesses to writing the email, comes clean about everything finally. Mm. And so he's pissed, but also flattered because she loved him enough to do that. This you, that's not love. That's not love. You don't love. If you don't love me enough to that, in your mind you want to make sure that I'm happy and Mm -hmm. not a conniving bitch to ruin my happiness that is not love and this is another example Michael ate shit (laughs) at all at all and that is why I'm okay that he was not a charismatic chemistry ridden male lead not that I don't like the actor I just I'm glad because what the fuck so a couple of things in this scene she says I'm the bad guy which totally gives me the am I the drama (laughs) yes yes Julian you are the drama (laughs) you are a hundred percent the drama and then they go into this thing she's like I'm worse than pond scum i'm the fungus that lives on pond scum and then he comes back with like this whole list of like pus and other things <laughs> and so then he thanks her for loving him that much God, and then she says except it makes me fungus <laughs> which I can't. I the can't. delivery on that i love at this part of the movie this part is when julianne should have been done because you go get the girl I'm gonna go home yeah because there's no way but of course they split up they're going to go find Kimmy Julianne finds Kimmy because when she calls the house one of the cousins tells her that somebody called and said they spotted Kimmy at the box at the baseball stadium and so Julianne heads over to go find Kimmy. Kimmy is in the bathroom and there's this whole scene where she confronts Kimmy and Kimmy pushes her and yells at her and calls her out for her shit. Julianne calls her out for saying, bitch, I know you knew what was up. Yeah. And Kimmy was like, all I wanted was for us to get along and you have been trying to steal my man. 
And so Julianne's, she says she's sorry. She knows that what she's done is wrong and pretty much, but he doesn't love me. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you're only really apologizing because Michael doesn't want you. Yeah, Michael chose Kimmy. And when she says, you need to go walk down the aisle and marry the man we love. We, bitch. Marry the man of our dreams. That's what it is. Is this a sister wives situation now? That's what it's feeling. There's no way. I would have had to fucking punched her in the gut a few times or the throat before I could even get close to any kind of forgiveness there's no fucking way I would have jumped her in that bathroom all my friends would have been there we would have been jumping this oh the so because it takes place in a bathroom it's drawn a crowd right and they are here for it But also when Jules first walks in and she's yelling Kimmy's name, there's like the the old crazy lady, like Kimmy, Kimmy, Kimmy. Yeah, that is a wonderful touch. It's such, it's the little things. And there's so many women just like giving their opinions. Yeah. Like, Um, mm, mm. So they hug and now we're at the church. Everyone walks down the aisle, says everything they're supposed to. No one tries to like object. And now we're at the reception. The little brother gives his speech and he's adorable (laughs) and just keeps, it gives me Joey from friends with the having and holding (laughs) and cherishing uh, those type of vibes. And then it is Jules's turn to give a speech. (sighs) There's, I just, there's no way you're not at my wedding and I'm not fucking letting you talk. And the fact that these two smile at her, it just, it doesn't and make any sense. And she rehashes the fact that she was a crazy person trying to break them up the whole time by just saying, I have the strangest dream. Mm. You're the drama, Jules. You are the drama. But I will say through all that, I'm gonna stick beside her. <laughs> I still fucking love And then her her, her final olive branch <laughs> is to say, until you find your own song, I'll loan you ours. Bitch, I don't want that. First of all, we're gonna have a song. What were they gonna play? So this is where the cousins get up and start saying, singing the way you look tonight. And what I can't stand is Michael is like ready to fucking shed a tear. No, like I can't. So now it's bouquet toss. Kimmy is aiming for Jules and Jules is like, bitch, you better don't. Could you imagine? I'm just saying like, if I got married and I said, Jackie, my song with my husband now is going to be Ario Speedwagon. I will always love you. How how would that make you feel? Be like, he doesn't know what like I know it. <laughs> <laughs> he will never know it like I know it. I just you don't you don't share songs like that. that is there are right. so many songs out there, like you don't have to reuse the same song. I guess if they can reuse the man, they can reuse the song. This is community. It is the dick. man of their dreams. Community dick. So now it's that typical. 
I've never seen a bride and maybe it's just the circles I run in. Hmm. I've never seen a bride change into a honeymoon outfit. Oh, I'm totally doing that. I'm going to have in my imaginary wedding that may never happen, but wedding dress, turn up outfit on the dance floor because I need room to move and outfit to leave in my pictures. Is it going to be blush and bashful? I don't know. <laughs> so they're they're leaving to go on their honeymoon, but the the wedding is still going on. Yeah, I guess that happens. Though. Michael does come back and gives her a hug, which reminds me of Monster in Law because that happens where Michael is, is the name of the son, I think, in that movie, and after all the horrendous things, so the mom and monster-in-law was able to run because Jillian walked. Mm -hmm. Same vibes. 100%. Yep. Now Jillian's back at her table. She's kind of sitting there just watching people uh, dance. She has her cake. It's untouched. Then her phone rings. (laughs) And George kind of asks how it's going. She said, we said our goodbyes. And then he's like, well... I'm sure you're just sitting there in your lavender gown, (laughs) drumming your fingers with your cake uneaten in front of you. And she's like, hold up. I didn't ever tell you what color my dress was. And so she gets up and she starts walking around, kind of looking around and the, the couple's part on the dance floor and there George is sitting on his cell phone and then say a little prayer starts playing and they get up and they dance. Lots of spins. Yes. And then the ending line of the movie is maybe there won't be marriage. Maybe there won't be sex, but by God, there will be dancing. And then (laughs) that's when they start dancing. And they had to reshoot and make this ending scene because the original ending scene that they filmed was with Julia Roberts. And can you guess who? You probably already looking at the notes. I I watched the the alternate. Oh, okay. Well, John Corbett, who we just did a movie featuring um, Raise Your Voice and Aiden from Sex and the City. Before he got his big break as Aiden on Sex and the City, he filmed a scene with Julia Roberts where she meets this wonderfully handsome man at the wedding and the test audiences hated it. They did not believe that Julianne's character deserved to get a guy at the end. They did not like it. I watched it. Mm-hmm. I didn't hate it. I think it was done in a way. So there, so what happens is like, instead of sitting at the table at the reception, she's kind of like on the phone with George, like outside of the tent. And he walks by and notices her by herself. And he's like, Hey, do you want to dance? She's like giving him attitude. She's like, can't you see him on the phone? And he's like, okay, well, if you want to dance, I'll be inside. And she's like, give me three to six months is what she says. I'm like, that seems like a pretty on-brand Julian thing to say. Mm-hmm. But then she immediately goes in and starts dancing with him. What I would like to see was like three to six months later, her reconnecting with him because she's had maybe lots of therapy in the process, <laughs> lots yeah. of time, and now is able to move on. I didn't hate the that end scene. What was interesting was when they do say a little prayer at the end during that that alternate ending it's another sing-along oh and it and it's the guy on stage starts it 
but then the whole kitchen staff is singing it (laughs) and it keeps cutting back and forth and it shows Jules and John Corbett's character dancing and very similar to how she was dancing with George at the end, lots of spins and laughing and stuff like that. So I do love this ending. I love that George showed up to support her in the end and comfort her, but I did not hate that alternative ending as much as it seems test audiences did. Yeah. I think it feels good to sit in our feelings. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, and I think, I think one of the reasons why this movie is so great is that because it really took a chance to make America's sweetheart a villain. And we would not have gotten that same feeling if she got this cute guy at the end. Like, I like that it's not completely wrapped up in a bow. Yeah. She's having to pay for her choices, which we don't usually see in a lot of rom-coms. People do crazy shit in rom-coms and there's no real repercussions usually. So I think that's great. Like I said, I feel like monster-in-law, bridesmaids, and maid of honor with Patrick Dempsey, which is the flip Mm -hmm. reversed of this movie for the male situation. But of course he actually gets the girl in the end, which side eye, but that is my best friend's wedding. Yay. Happy birthday, Danielle. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So what little factoids did we miss? When I said that they had to reshoot this scene, the reason that they even brought George back was to try to make Julianne's character even more likable because, again, test audiences hated this bitch. And Robert had a pixie cut at this point, but I think that's it. I think we covered everything. If you guys have any hot takes on my best friend's wedding or this episode, if you have advice for me being 40, go ahead, hit us up on social Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, at No More Late Bees. Jackie, what is your current day rating? So, I mean, technically I did buy it again. And I'll be re-watching it because Ken came in towards the end. Mm. And when she was confessing about the letter mm. is when he came in and he's like, I don't think I've ever seen this movie. So we'll be rewatching it. So I will put it as a would buy it because I did buy it, but rewatchability, it's probably around a two day rental. (laughs) Okay. Would buy again for me. I've been waiting to watch it again because it is one of those movies that I watched a lot or have in the background. And I've been holding off since we started the podcast. So I haven't been able to watch it essentially for a year and a half. So yeah, definitely would buy again. I I don't care how bad the movie is. If Julia's in it, you're watching it. I'm watching it. (laughs) Well, if you have similar opinions to Danielle's, or if you don't, (laughs) uh, hit us up at the quick drop 909-601-NMLF, 909-601-6653. Leave us a message. You can also twat us at the Twitter or leave a uh, voice message at Anchor FM. 
feedback, suggest future movies, what you liked or disliked, corrections, blockbuster video stories, favorite moments, and you could be featured on a future episode. And join us next week as we continue our 4th of July tradition of a Will Smith movie with (laughs) Men in Black. (laughs) Here come the Men in Black. (laughs) And as always, be kind and rewind.